20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. In just a moment, we're going to be going over all four of the defensive coordinator candidates that are confirmed to have interviewed or are going to be interviewing for the position. Super excited to jump into that with you. Before we get there, a couple things to run through really quick. First of all, shout out to Owen Fulham for signing up to be a Pack a Day Podcast YouTube member. If you have not done so yet, Make sure to check those out. Tons of options available and great weekly content, Q&As, extra episodes, all that stuff. So make sure to check it out. Also, today, it's officially the day we are launching the Daily Draft, an all-new sub-series of the Pack-A-Day podcast hosted by Ross Uglum. Today's going to kick off with his super popular Mock Draft Monday. We're also going to do a ton of prospect breakdowns, some Packers-specific draft content, and of course, he's going to be joined by uh, some special guests I will be joining from time to time as well. So make sure to check out the Daily Draft right here on the Pack-A-Day podcast, on the YouTube channel, and wherever you get your favorite content. It is going to be amazing. Again, that starts today every single weekday from now until the time of the draft. It's going to be epic. Make sure to check it out and no better time to subscribe to the podcast than right freaking now. I wanted to go over the playoff games really quick from Sunday. Chiefs and 49ers win. We get a rematch of the Super Bowl from what, four years ago, I think it was. I I know that these two teams maybe, uh, you know, people are a little bit sick of, maybe not the the matchups that people wanted. I think maybe some people wanted to see Baltimore, the Lions or the the Lions and 49ers with such a conflict of interest for Packer fans where it's this 49ers team that keeps eliminating the Packers. And I think everyone from a Packers standpoint is sick of them. Although you never really wanted division rival to get there either. So it was sort of this weird dynamic. And then, you know, on the flip side, we've just seen the Chiefs in what four of the, the past five Super Bowls now. But it is what it is. I think it's going to be a really great game. Good football is good football, regardless. You know, some people are like, I'm not watching. Well, like, of course, watch it. It's going to be great. And I'm excited for it. Even if it's not the two teams I necessarily would have preferred, it's still going to be good football. Some just really quick takeaways from the games really, really fast. One, the catch by MVS at the end was just such an awesome feel-good moment because we know how he has struggled with huge drops throughout his career. It has reared its ugly head again this year in Kansas City. And just to see him come up with what was a very difficult catch to end the game and send his team to the Super Bowl, just a really cool moment for him. And and of course, him being a a former Green Bay Packer, you love seeing him be successful. You of course wish it would have, you know, some of that success would have come maybe a little bit more. He had that phenomenal game in the NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers though. So he he has had his fair share of moments uh, in the NFL, but this was just such a cool one, especially with all the drop issues that he's had. Really quick, I wanted to go over the unnecessary roughness penalty at the end of the Chiefs-Ravens game where it was first and five and the Ravens jump off sides to try to make it first and 10. This is such a great strategy move because you don't want it to be first and five in that situation. All they need to do is pick up a first down and the game is basically over. And if you immediately jump off sides and they accept the penalty, it now goes to first and 10 and your odds go up exponentially that you can stop them three straight downs on a first and 10, then three straight downs on first and five. So mathematically, it makes a ton of sense. The issue with this is, and Matt LaFleur has done this before, he's had 
players purposefully drop off, uh, jump off sides. I specifically one time asked him about it in a post-game press conference and he's, you know, kind of had a wry smile and then admitted to it that yes, they did it on purpose. The issue is that teams are now very aware of it. They are aware that it's more advantageous for the defense uh, to be in a first and 10 rather than a first and five. So teams have started to decline those penalties. Now, I don't know if it was the intentional, like, you know, 15 yard penalty in that situation, but it felt like because it was the 15 yarder, they were more apt to accept it. I don't know if that was strategy or not, but it was really interesting because even though like, I know everyone in the moment was like, oh my goodness, this team is the most undisciplined team ever. How do you get a 15 yard penalty with a game on the line? It was the best thing that could have happened. If a first and five is the worst thing, because again, they just need five yards and three downs to end the game. The five yard penalty is probably not going to work because teams now know to, to decline it. But for some reason, because it was the personal foul and they got the 15 yards out of it, they accepted it, but it still is first and 10. The clock doesn't move at all. There's no other penalty involved. It worked out perfectly. It's just a really interesting analytical piece. And again, I don't know that they tried to put a little extra mustard on it, but it's a weird scenario of like, it's almost, you know, enhancing the team to do it on purpose and get a 15 yard penalty instead of a five. Just a really fun, nerdy example to go over that I probably am the only one that enjoys, but it's just fun to look at nonetheless. And then Dan Campbell really quick. I just want to point out here that I think Dan Campbell is such a perfect example of exactly how hard it is to find a really good coach in the NFL. And what I mean by that, Dan Campbell has been amazing for Detroit. A uh, freaking amazing. He has gone, like this This was a barren franchise. They couldn't do anything right. The Matt Millen years, a 0-16 season, like it was a nightmare. And he comes in and he completely turns over that franchise to the point where they should be going to the Super Bowl right now. But my point being here is he screws up a lot in this game. Now, I actually don't disagree with the fourth down decisions. I think you have to go with what you've been doing all season long, and he's been aggressive all season long. I think the worst thing you can do is second guess yourself in these big moments. He's been that same style play caller since day one. And when I say play caller, I mean decision maker, because of course, Ben Johnson has the, the play calling, but you get my point. Uh, he's been that same aggressive, you know, he's had that same mentality since day one. To change it in a NFC championship game and go against the grain of what you've done in your entire time that's made you successful is I don't think the the right decision. Now, could he have done some things? I thought the the fourth down late in the game when they're down by three, not kicking the field goal. I thought that was a rather egregious decision. I don't think that's being aggressive. I think that's just a bad decision. The other thing, and because the big thing I'll say there is even if you get the first down, the most likely outcome of the remainder of that drive is still a field goal attempt. So I, I would have kicked the field goal there. Again, easy for me to say here and not actually having to coach it out on the field. But the end of game scenario where, first of all, they should have taken a, like they should have just got the field goal out of the way with and then kicked off, still potentially had either the two minute warning and three timeouts or at minimum three timeouts to, to play with. And instead they drive down and then they have that handoff. That handoff was nuclear. And the reason being is you can hand the ball off there, but you have to know if it doesn't get in, you already have a play called. Everyone's up to the line of scrimmage immediately and you're going and you're running another play. You have to have a second play called in that situation. Instead, they have to burn a timeout, which now means you have to recover an onside kick. It, you're just, it's now over. The game is basically over off of one play call. 
You, and even if you don't have another play called, you can't use the timeout. You cannot use the timeout because you can get up to the line and you could have still spiked it there, would have left one down to try to convert on fourth down, or you could have just kicked the field goal again. You would still be left with three timeouts. But the really your only opportunity for success is points, leaving yourself to three timeouts, getting kicking off, getting them three and out, getting the ball back, and then whatever the remaining points that you need, whether it be a touchdown or a field goal, go getting those at the end. And they did not allow themselves that opportunity. Instead, because they used that timeout, it now became, we have to get points, and then we've got to get an onside kick, and then we have to get points again. And the onside kick recovery rate right now is just nothing. They, they immediately failed as soon as they handed off that ball. Those are the things that just cannot happen in games where the, the margins are razor thin. And as great as Dan Campbell has been, when you have a flaw in your game, in this case, the game management uh, piece of it, it can rear its ugly head at the worst possible time. It was an epic collapse by the Detroit Lions. No, I still don't put it in 2014 Green Bay Packers territory, even though the Lions actually led by more in this game, but it is still a rather stunning collapse by them. And it just goes to show you the amount of different things that coaches need in the NFL to have at their disposal from game management to player development, to culture development, to all, just all of it. It is insane. And it is so hard to find really good ones. Just, I know Matt's not perfect, but he's got a lot of things down pretty freaking well. And Dan, well, I'm sure we'll rebound from this as well, but some, some definitely rough moments in this game. One other piece of news really quick, Tim Lester, who is on the Packers defensive staff as a senior defensive analyst, uh, one of only eight defensive coaches on the Packers roster under Joe Barry this past season, they will lose him to Iowa as an offensive coordinator. So he's going from defense to offense. He's going to be the Hawkeyes offensive coordinator moving forward. It sounds like he was about to take another position anyway, so they were going to lose him no matter what, but he is now officially going to be the offensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes. All right, let's jump into our main topic for today. Packers confirmed interviewees. And I want to go over these in greater detail and break down which ones are going to be important for uh, you know you to know. And it, as of right now, we only know four. And it's quite possible that one of the hires is from this list of four. There could be mystery candidates. They could be more that they bring in. But as of right now, we've only known and confirmed four interview candidates. And that is Christian Parker, Brandon Staley, Bobby Babich, and Aiden Dirty. So those are the ones that I'm going to go over today in much greater detail. Dan Graziano did report that Chris Harris was on the Packers short list of candidates as well, but a interview as at least of recording this right now has never been confirmed. There has been, as I mentioned yesterday, some buzz that Christian Parker is potentially being offered the position that is still yet to be corroborated by anyone um, other than again, Andrew uh, here on Pack-A-Day. And we'll see if anything comes of that. But as I'm recording this right now, no other news has come out. And maybe as you're listening to this, it's already been confirmed and Christian Parker or some other defensive coordinator candidate has been hired. But I hope not because I put a ton of time, effort, and energy into this episode. So let's jump into it. I will say I might have to do a little bit more reading on this one simply because there's a ton of stats and information and quotes here. It just inherently, I didn't do a, you know, I'm not going to do like a third grade book report and try to memorize everything, but uh, we'll get through it together and we'll go over all the amazing things and some questionable things about all of these candidates. Let's start with Christian Parker, Broncos defensive backs coach, just turned 32 years old, just th turned 32 in December. So it's not like he's about to turn 33. He just turned 32 in December. 
He started off as Virginia State's uh, at Virginia State as a defensive backs coach, then went to Norfolk State as a defensive backs coach, went to Notre Dame to become a defensive analyst, Texas A&M to become a defensive analyst, then went to the Green Bay Packers, of course, in 2019 as a defensive quality control coach, and Matt LaFleur gave him his first foray into the NFL. And then he went to the Denver Broncos and became their defensive backs coach from there. He has served under a variety of defensive minds during that time frame in Green Bay and Denver. He served under Mike Pettin. He served under Vic Fangio. He served under Ejiro Evero. He served under Vance Joseph. And he also served under Ed Donatel. That is a ton of different defensive minds, philosophies, systems, approaches. And in a very short stint in the NFL, he has got to pick the brain of and work under Mike Pettin, Vic Fangio, Ajiro Evero, Vance Joseph, and Ed Donatel. All five who have been defensive coordinators and of varying degrees of successful defensive coordinators in the NFL. It's likely that he would continue to utilize a 3-4 base defense, which he has done in his time in Green Bay and in Denver. Now, this is per Robbie Davis, who covers the Denver Broncos. He said Parker was the glue guy on transitioning the defense from Vic Fangio to Vance Joseph, and he was praised for his adaptability. We've been talking about adaptability a ton as to how important it is going to be for defensive coaches moving forward. The fact that he has all of these systems that he has worked under, all these great defensive minds, and he has been able to translate them and is adaptable, that is a huge, huge win for him and what he could bring to the Packers moving forward if he is, in fact, the hire. From Vance Joseph, and this is via the Broncos wire. This, this was a direct quote from Vance Joseph. He's sharp, man. He is a star. He is a great partner to work with. Speaking with Christian every day and bouncing ideas off him from what he's done with Vic and guys in the past has been fun. He's smart. He works his butt off and his players love playing for him. He's a star. Hey friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found game time. Game time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there, I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of PrizePick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? 
You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The buzz around the league about Christian Parker is that he at minimum is going to be a defensive coordinator sooner rather than later. The Patriots interviewed him. He did not get the job with New England. The Packers have, or have already interviewed him as well. And not only that, the thought is that he has the potential to become a NFL coach, uh, head coach one day, and that you know he is on track to be that at some point in time. The, everyone that you talk to, from Broncos fans to Broncos reporters to Broncos players to former Packers players, everyone seems to love this guy. And I'm not saying like in just like, like they are over the top about who he is as a person, what he brings to the team and that they would be devastated if they would lose him. There are a couple great videos on YouTube. If you look uh, if you look up Christian Parker and you can hear him kind of going through some interviews and on the field stuff, some of the things that came up in that, that you were very easy, it was easy to see. He did not want to overload players with information. He wanted to simplify information for players as much as possible. He let experienced players master their craft and then he empowered those players to coach other players that were maybe less experienced. And he spoke about teaching and the importance of direct communication in those videos. I highly recommend checking those out to get a feel. There's a very Mike Tomlin-esque almost approach and even almost the way that he speaks. It's very interesting, but I, like I said, I highly recommend checking those out. He's known for his strong communication skills. He has said that his ultimate goal is to become an NFL head coach. John Heath, who covers the Broncos, said, quote, it would be such a bummer if the Broncos lost Christian Parker. So again, those around the team feel like he has been extremely important to the development of that defense. And if you look at the overall pros and cons of Christian Parker, pros, multiple defensive schemes that he's worked under, worked with tons of great defensive minds. He made it through three different coaching staffs in Denver in his time there in basically like three seasons. That's not by accident. A lot of times, when you go from coach to coach to coach, especially when you're changing over defensive coordinators, they will nuke a lot of people from those coaching staffs, if not all of them sometimes. The fact that he was able to stick around and that the new defensive guy and the new head coach wanted to keep that guy around every single time. And then this past year, the fact that he was basically the translator going from the Vic Fangio scheme to the Vance Joseph scheme, that tells you how much they view of him as a coach to keep him around through multiple regimes in the same place. He is familiar with Matt LaFleur in his staff. He worked under Matt in 2019. Again, Matt brought him in. He worked on the defensive side of the ball, worked with plenty of these coaches before. So there's some familiarity there. Everyone speaks super highly of him. And again, even Vance Joseph said he's a star. That is the thought process that he is on the fast track to becoming something very special in this league. He seems to have all of the intangible qualities that you would potentially look for in a coach. 
and he apparently is extremely hungry and he works his ass off. A ton of things to like. Now the cons are just his level of experience and just the unknowns. He's super young, super inexperienced as a defensive play caller. He's only really still had like a cup of coffee, even in the NFL. 2019 is when Matt LaFleur gave him his first opportunity. And it's not like he's had like a passing game coordinator or certainly no defensive coordinator. He just doesn't have that. It's all been positional group and mostly all of it actually in the secondary. You know, he's never called plays. He's never put together a staff, never put together a playbook. And what you're doing is ultimately taking a chance on a young up and coming coach and kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that it works out. I think you're still at a place with this Green Bay Packers team that you can do that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But this is a team now that has championship aspirations sooner rather than later. So you do have to wonder, like, is going inexperienced and younger the way to go? Or do you want a little bit more experience in that position? But that seems to be really the only negative here is that there's just a little bit of a mystery box with Christian Parker. And it's going to be for a lot of these guys as well, that they just don't have that level of experience. But man, you look at every other box from teaching to communication to the different defenses that he knows, man, he checks everything else. So definitely a very exciting candidate. All right, next up on the list is Brandon Staley, former Chargers head coach who was fired mid-season, 41 years old, started as a graduate assistant for Northern Illinois. Then he went to St. Thomas and became a defensive line and special teams coach, went to Hutchinson Community College and became an associate head coach and defensive coordinator. He went to the University of Tennessee and became a grad assistant, went to John Carroll and became the defensive coordinator and secondary coach went to James Madison, became the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, went back to John Carroll, became the defensive coordinator and secondary coach again, went to the Chicago Bears and became their outside linebackers coach, went to the Broncos, became their outside linebackers coach, went to the Rams for one season and became a defensive coordinator for one season and then was hired as the Chargers head coach. And again, this past year, he was fired mid-season. His main influence is Vic Fangio. That is his basically almost his only influence from a defensive side of the ball. In all likelihood, he would continue to utilize a 3-4 base defense. He is extremely creative with his safeties. He loves disrupting initial reads and creative, creating confusion. He focuses on individual matchups and figures out ways that he can kind of scheme matchups in his favor and in his team's favor. He's extremely analytically driven and looks at every possible analytical opportunity to take advantages. And you know, it's kind of like being the casino. You want everything going in your favor. That's how he kind of looks at it. The Chargers did struggle mightily on third and long situations this past year. So that's of note. When he was with the uh, Chargers, his defenses these past three years were 23rd, 21st, and 30th. He was second with the Rams or first, depending on what metric that you're looking at. But in his one year as defensive coordinator, they were the best defense in football. Let's just put it that way. As a head coach, he had a 24 and 24 record in the regular season. So not like it was like 10 and 40 or something. It was 24 and 24, 0 and 1 in the playoffs, and then had that brutal loss to the Raiders. That was the final straw that got him fired. As defensive coordinator with the Rams, again, for one season, he was second in points per game first in yards allowed per game, 15th in turnovers per game, and seventh in red zone scoring defense. He very clearly that season, by all accounts, put together the best defense in football in his one year as a defensive coordinator. You're really not going to find that from any other candidate on the market. From Jalen Ramsey, this is the quote from Jalen Ramsey, one of the best players in football. 
He's the quote, he's the best defensive coordinator that I've had for sure in the NFL. And that's not a shot at anyone else because coach Wade Phillips is a legend. And in Jacksonville, I had my ups and downs there, but I just really think he's great at what he does. He's a genius. He's smart. He knows how to use his players and works well to put his players in position to make plays or have impact on the game. He knows how to get the best out of people. He knows how to calm people down and keep us going throughout the games. I just think he's great. There's literally nothing negative I can say about him. That is a huge recommendation from Jalen Ramsey. I mean, it does not get any more glowing from that, from scheme setup to caring about his players, to putting them in positions to succeed, to all of it. And quote, there's literally nothing negative I can say about him. Call him a genius. That is, again, that's about as good of a glowing recommendation as you can possibly have. The pros for Brandon Staley, legitimately put together a number one defense in the NFL with the Rams when he was really his only season as an NFL defensive coordinator. Considered one of the bright and, you know, and smart analytical minds in all of the NFL. And if you are looking to maybe bring in new ideas, but maybe not completely overhaul the scheme, that would be a pro. Now on the con side of things, if you're looking to get out of that Vic Fangio scheme and you want something totally different, then that's going to be a con. And he failed horribly with the Chargers, especially from a defensive side of things. The past three years combined, the Chargers finished 28th in points allowed, 31st in yards allowed per carry, and 25th in opponent passer rating. Brutal, brutal numbers. And he still called the defense while he was with the Chargers. And you might say, well, yeah, but he didn't have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey anymore. First of all, most teams don't have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Second of all, he still had guys like Joey Bosa and Derwin James, and there were some really good defenders on that roster. So there is a legitimate concern of how bad. Now, was that due to him taking on too much as a head coach and not knowing how to handle all that? And him just really being, there's a possibility he is a genius defensive coordinator and a terrible head coach. We have seen that, uh, Wade Phillips, who Jalen Ramsey mentioned, is such a great example of that. Phenomenal defensive coordinator in his career. Terrible head coach. That could be Staley. You could be getting one of the best defensive coordinators and best defensive minds in the NFL, and he's just a terrible head coach. That's fine. Green Bay doesn't need him to be a head coach. They just need him to be a defensive coordinator. But the defensive numbers for the Chargers were massively, massively concerning. Um, Almost an entirely Vic Fangio influence. There's really nothing else in his background that's going to influence him that much outside of what he knows from the Fangio scheme and Fangio system. And I do think he's more of a scheme coach that wants to win with X's and O's more than like the teacher and like how to make you better individually. Now, a lot of that falls on the positional coaches anyway, but one uh, basically Chargers source after he got fired said, quote, He was called too smart for his... Oh, this is the the quote from the article. He was called too smart for his own good by a Chargers source after his firing and kind of pointed to like he was looking for all the different mismatches and ways to win, but never focused on what the Chargers actually needed to do well and what their strengths were. And you can get into a paralysis by analysis with that where you're constantly looking at how you beat the other team instead of focusing on just what you do well. And that is, I think, something that you have to be a little bit concerned about as well with Brandon Staley. So you have this weird range with him where there is some legitimately really good stuff in his background. And obviously his time with the Rams that one year where he had the best defense in football is is great, but 
man, ever since then, that defense, his defense, his time with the Chargers, it did not go great. So you really need to vet that out and figure if that's a direction that you want to go in. This is a risk reward candidate, in my opinion. If you get the candidate that is the super genius and can like remake your defense and and become a potential top five defense in the NFL, it becomes a home run. If you get though, what he put on tape and on the field with the Chargers defensively, you go basically right back to what you had with Joe Barry. And that's a scary thought. And I don't know that you want to take that coin flip into the equation, but I guess if if they do go in that direction, you hope it's the plus side and not the minus, but it would be an interesting hire to say the least. Aiden Dirty, Cowboys defensive line coach, 44 years old, started as a coach for the London Warriors, became a defensive coordinator there for six seasons, became an intern for the Dallas Cowboys, a defensive quality control coach for the Falcons, an outside linebackers coach for the Falcons, and then a defensive line coach for the Cowboys, worked under both Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris, has basically worked with Dan Quinn his entire time in the NFL. The Cowboys, Quinn, Morris run a 4-3 base defense. We can't say for sure that, you know, Dirty would come in and do the same thing, but if, you know, that's all he's known, there's a possibility that Green Bay might make that transition to 4-3, whether that's a pro or a con for you is maybe up to your own, uh, you know, personal taste and preference. Was a, or is an international head coach or international coach, I should say, my apologies, part of the NFC and NFL accelerator program. Rams and Falcons have also shown interest in him for the defensive coordinator job. He's credited with helping develop the Cowboys front. And obviously you got the Micah Parsons and um, you know Sam Williams and all those guys up front that have had tremendous success. He's been credited with a lot of their improvement and growth. Cowboys were fifth in defense this past season. So you're pulling someone from one of the best defenses in the NFL. And he's been credited for really helping them master their twists and stunts up front, which they have one of the best twist and stunt games in the NFL uh, along their defensive front. And he, again, gets a lot of credit for the work that he has done with that up front. Quote from Dan Quinn, I thought that that's his superpower as a teacher. He's able to connect with different people on different sides of the ball. He's digging into new ideas and new ways of looking at things. He gave me a ton of feedback through the years. So pretty positive quote from Dan Quinn. The pros here are that he's a highly respected coach. Three different teams are looking at him for the you know possible defensive coordinator spot. He helped grow and develop Dallas's defensive front. He's coming from the league's fifth best defense. He's energetic, engaging. There's a great Hard Knocks episode that focused on him. You can find that on YouTube where you kind of get a much better feel for who he is as a coach. Teaching is his superpower, does have six years of overseas defensive coordinator experience with, uh, again, what was it? The London, I forget what their team name was, but yeah, with London, uh, a London team. Uh, I think he could help legitimately with the twist and uh, stunt game up front and maybe sort of supercharge that Packers defensive front. But again, he's going to be focused more on overall scheme, X's and O's, putting together the playbook and things like that. But I do think he could potentially bring a little of that to the table. On the downside, Similarly uh, to what we talked about with Christian Parker, just experience and unknowns, no NFL coordinator experience. You might have to go through that transition to a 4-3 scheme. He's got to put together a playbook, potentially you know, put together a staff. We'll see if that's something that they would want him to do or not. And he does not have a ton of diversity in his defensive experience, meaning it was almost primarily Dan Quinn with a little Raheem Morris mixed in as well. And real no connection to Matt LaFleur or Green Bay outside of Dan Quinn, who Matt LaFleur worked with in the past. And I'm sure Dan Quinn has spoken extremely highly of him if Matt wants to bring him in for an interview. This to me feels like, you know, potentially the 
maybe least experienced, you know, candidate of the four. And like the one that I think you're taking a little bit more of a leap of faith with, but again, he is in the running for three defensive coordinator spots. So it's not like Green Bay is just like looking and they they got this tip from Dan Quinn and they're like kind of going to the side and be like, we found this diamond in the rough. Like the NFL teams clearly know about him and think extremely highly of him. And you can, you can tell some very impressive stuff by the videos that are out there for him online too. Some of his press conferences, interviews, the hard knock segment. He's a very smart and analytical or, or excuse me, like well-spoken, um, you know, coach. And I think he would definitely bring a lot to the table, but again, a lot of unknowns there with just not being a NFL coordinator, passing game coordinator, anything like that in the past. Last but not least, number four, Bobby Babich, Bill's linebackers coach, 40 years old, son of Bob Babich, former Bears and Jaguars defensive coordinator, started out as a grad assistant with Kent State, became a secondary coach for Eastern Illinois, then went to the Panthers where he was first an admin assistant, then a defensive assistant, then an assistant defensive backs coach, then an assistant secondary and safeties coach, went to FIU and became their secondary coach and passing game coordinator, then went to the Bills, started as their assistant defensive backs coach, then their safeties coach, and is now their linebackers coach. His primary influence is Sean McDermott, although he has worked with Mike Pettin and Greg Williams in the past as well. Primarily has worked with a 4-3 defense. Uh, He does have interviews with the Packers, the Giants, and the Dolphins for open defensive coordinator positions. The Bears, interestingly, just hired Eric Washington, who was the Bills' assistant coach and defensive line coach, but was basically their pseudo-defensive coordinator. Remember, they let Leslie Frazier go, Sean McDermott called the plays, and then they had Eric Washington as basically the second in command. Washington gets the Bears' defensive coordinator job and they are hiring now for a defensive coordinator job in Buffalo. And it does seem like and feel like Babbage is potentially going to become the defensive coordinator in Buffalo. However, however, the Packers would have a leg up if they did want to go in that direction. The Packers defensive coordinator opening would consist of play calling. The Bills in all likelihood would not. My guess is that Sean McDermott would maintain play calling on his side of things, which means that Babbage would be the coordinator, but not be in charge of calling plays. If he was in Green Bay, he would be in charge of everything. So if it was equal, my guess is he would probably rather go to Green Bay than Buffalo, but that is one to keep an eye on where maybe they just hire him soon and he gets taken off the market. But there does seem to be some momentum that he could be the defensive coordinator in Buffalo. Uh, That being said, uh, Bills were ranked fourth in defense in 2023. So you're getting uh, a you know somebody from a, a defense that was really, really good. Hard to have a better influence than Sean McDermott from a defensive side of things. Super, super smart dude uh, who has made it as a defensive coach in the NFL as his primary focus. Um, Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson stepped up under Bobby Babich this year. He's also coached guys like TJ Ward and Joe Hayden in Cleveland. Uh, he's coached Uh, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde in Buffalo and has coached a ton of successful players and some of those young guys stepping up at linebacker. Babbage got a ton of credit for this past season. He's considered extremely smart and analytically driven. And I also highly, highly recommend going and listening to Babbage's interviews on YouTube. Man, he is super, super impressive. And you like are immediately engaged with him. And I don't know, there was definitely... Where, where like where you start trying to envision like how we would like fit in green and gold and would he fit with Matt LaFleur and those sort of things. Him and Christian Parker are really the two that to me stood out above and beyond. But um, Babbage is really interesting. And I like I said, I highly recommend checking out his interviews as well. There's a ton of great ones out there. These were some quotes. 
Eric Wood, the center, the former Bills center, said, quote, whether it's as a defensive coordinator calling the plays or just in title, I would 100% approve and want Bobby Babbage to earn that title, former Bills center Eric Wood posted on social media. Bobby is one of the smartest coaches I've been around, incredible energy, and one of the best developers of talent I've witnessed. Whew, that is a huge uh, ringing endorsement from Eric Wood. This is a quote from Babbage himself. Quote, I like the grind. I like the challenge. I like the mental stimulus of the coaching side of things where some people would just enjoy being around the game. I liked learning the ins and outs of the game. Some people would look at it like a fan, but to me, I wanted to learn football and watch how it worked. Remember, he's been around football forever. His dad was the defensive court. His dad's been a coach for forever. So like he's been ingrained in this and has been around it from day one. This is Sean McDermott on Babbage. Good coach. Bobby and I have been together a number of years, going back to our time together in Carolina. He's developed players. And I think when you evaluate a coach, it's, are you taking what you have and making it better? And I think it doesn't get any more complex than that. And Bobby has done that. Great quotes all the way around uh, from both McDermott and especially from Eric Wood on Babbage. The pros, awesome player development in his time in Buffalo and even in his time in Cleveland. He's basically been an NFL lifer. He's coming from a top NFL defense. Sean McDermott is a phenomenal influence to have, and it's just a matter of time before he likely becomes a defensive coordinator. His cons, again, the same sort of inexperience, just hasn't put together a full defense playbook, all of that sort of stuff. So again, you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith here. Possible new scheme, system, base defense, everything by bringing him in. Again, you could look at that as a pro or a con, depending on how you feel about it. And same thing here, no real ties to Green Bay or Matt LaFleur. This would be somebody that you're bringing in from the outside with totally new ideas. Again, that can be a pro as well. It might be a con where, again, he's going to have to work to fit in and um, maybe just not have maybe that cohesiveness that maybe somebody like Christian Parker would have with Matt LaFleur from day one. I'll say this. These, those are the four candidates. Um, there's, of course, lots that you can go over, but outside of Brandon Staley, the assistants, especially the other three that we talked about, I kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday in my episode. It's like, there's only so much you can glean. There's only so much you can know. I love going and listening to their interviews and talking to them, you know, and hearing them talk and how they present themselves. I, again, I was really impressed, especially by Babich and by Christian Parker. I think both of them would be tremendous fits in Green Bay. Just, I, I worked in HR. For those of you who don't know, I worked in HR before. I did tons of interviews. I know how to look for certain traits when I'm hiring people. It's just what I was trained to do. And both of those people is like, I obviously don't get to interview them and neither do any of us. But sometimes when you sit down and hear them talk and how they conduct themselves, you can pick up on certain things. For me, the two that really stood out were Babbage and Parker. But again, it is really tough to glean exactly how successful some of these guys would be when they've had you know inside linebacker or safety duties in the NFL. We don't know what that really amounted to, how involved they were on the back end. And it's just really going to be up to Matt LaFleur to go through these interviews and decide who he thinks is ultimately going to be the best candidate. But for me, Babbage and Parker, the two standouts of this group of four, uh, Dirty would probably be three, and then Staley would be the fourth on my list right now. And we'll see if Matt LaFleur ultimately brings in more candidates. And if he does, we will, of course, cover him right here on the Pack-A-Day podcast and go over their full details and everything just like we did today for these four candidates. Some One other noteworthy thing here, the Ravens were eliminated on Sunday, obviously. That does open up Chris Hewitt, Zach Orr, Denard Wilson, and Anthony Weaver 
for potential interviews right away. So if before making this a decision, he wanted to maybe interview a, a, a guy or two from the, the Ravens system. Now the, all four of those guys are available and they could look at potentially bringing them in for interviews as well. So again, Chris Hewitt, Zach Orr, Denard Wilson, and Anthony Weaver. Now that they're eliminated, free to interview for positions. And that's something that Matt LaFleur could do if he wanted to. Again, assuming that by the time I'm launching this episode, Christian Parker or somebody else hasn't already been announced as defensive coordinator. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Again, make sure to check out the daily draft a little bit later with Ross Uglum. Best time ever to subscribe to the Packaday podcast, so make sure to do so. Check out the YouTube uh, memberships. Of course, you're going to love those as well. That's all I got to say. This is obviously uh, a little bit of a deep dive into all of these. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll be right back here tomorrow. Shout out to our all pro and Hall of Fame members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Dad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donna Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, and David McCluskey. I'll see you guys soon, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.